we are now, we're in the middle of a series called Better Together, but we're spending a few weeks on the armor of God. And this idea of spiritual warfare is very important. Beginning at verse 10, Ephesians 6 and verse 10, it says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil or the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. She may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Let's pray and let's ask for an anointing to rest upon our lives, uh, uh, that God will speak to us what he desires in this. Lord, I just ask you to anoint this time right now. I ask Jesus that an anointing would rest upon me as the, as the preacher of the word, that, that, Lord, every word that I speak would be spirit-ordained and of your will and of your heart, mighty God. Let me be sensitive to the leading in the direction of your Holy Spirit this morning. I pray, Lord, for every person within the sound of my voice, those who are in this room, watching online, joining by podcast, however they may be hearing this, I ask that you would anoint us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that receives what your spirit is speaking. And right now, I bind every work of the enemy. He who would seek to destroy, to distort, to distract, or confuse the word of God. I ask, Lord, that you would give us liberty in receiving from you today. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody say, Amen. You may be seated. Well, I've really tried to encourage us over the last few weeks that, you know, what we're dealing with in this day and age, did you know that many people are unaware that we live in a constant state of warfare? And, and that concerns me. Every single one of us, whether you realize it or not, there are spiritual forces and things that are going on all around us. And if we're unaware or unequipped, uh, then I'm telling you, I, my fear is that we're going to face great defeat and great failure throughout our life. And I don't believe that's the will of God. I believe that we can be winners in the invisible war. I believe that we can be victorious as we walk with God. I believe that it's the Lord's intention for you to destroy the works of the devil and put the devil to open shame and to walk in freedom and not oppression. And if you agree with that, say amen. So we've talked in, in previous weeks, and I this is just a quick recap, about how the devil operates with great intensity in this day and age. It says, woe to you uh, who dwell on the earth because the devil has come down with great wrath. He knows that his time is short. We talked last week how the devil is operating with a time frame with greater intensity as he sees the return of Jesus coming nearer and nearer. How many of you think that we would be wise if the devil is going to be more intense in his attack in the world today that we would be wise to ramp up 
our prayer life, in our warfare, in our awareness of what he's doing. Now, we know that Jesus himself, he said in John 9, 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. Jesus operated on a time frame, knowing I've got a window here. My father has given me assignments, and I am going to do and fulfill all that I have been asked of. I'll tell you, that's what I live for as well. Did you know that the Father God has put a call on your life? He's put purpose. He's put assignments. He's put ministry on your life. And you and I have a window of opportunity to do what God has asked us to do. One day, we'll stand before God and we'll give an account for the life that we lived and for the things that we did or did not do. My goal, can I just tell you, my goal as a pastor is to make you look good on judgment day. That really is my goal. That's what in Ephesians 4.11, pastor is supposed to do. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry, the equipping of the body of Christ. That's what I desire to do. I want you to have the tools and the assignment, the awareness of what God has called you to do. And my job, if you'll listen to the words of this preacher and prayerfully follow me as I follow Christ, my goal is that you're going to look good on judgment day. And I always challenge people, my mentor... Steve Hill used to challenge his entire church. He's like, uh, try and get a better crown than me on Judgment Day. Try and get more jewels laid up in heaven than me on Judgment Day. This is a competition for him. Because, you know, on that day, when we get to heaven, I'm not going to be your pastor anymore. No, I'm going to be a saint receiving my reward just the same as you. And so we're all going to have something that we're either going to be able to bring before the Lord or not. And so I challenge you, godly competition. I'm going to beat you guys. I'm going to look better than you on judgment day, but I welcome you to challenge me in that. Who's going to have the better crown? One of our crowns is going to say Hilo, right, because we start that extension. And we're going we're gonna to have people that are, that are represented. Don't you want people in heaven because of your influence in their life? Oh, me too. So Jesus operated. And then the Bible even says, I'm not going to spend time on this, Hebrews 10, 25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhort one another, especially as you see the day approaching. Did you understand? We're better together. And even as we see the return of Jesus coming nearer and nearer, we should be more and more intentional about the body of Christ coming together. It's very important. I know this COVID thing is jacked with a lot of people. I'm just going to watch on TV. I'm just going to pull up the live stream. Listen, I praise God for the technology. I praise God that people are watching with us online right now. We have people that watch from all over the world, and it's an awesome tool that we have. But it does not replace the need for us to come together. In fact, I heard one preacher say, it is true that you can be saved and not go to church. That is true. Salvation is something that happens between you and Jesus. It's by your faith in the accomplished work of, uh, of Jesus. And that can happen on your bedroom floor. That can happen anywhere that you're pursuing Jesus. However, did you know, this was the example that, that he gave. He says, you can be married and never go home. But let's see how well that works for you. Let's see how long that marriage is going to last if you never go home to be with your spouse. We need to be together. We're better together. 
We'll never be all that God has called us to be if we're disjointed and fractured. It's like a, like a limb disconnected from the rest of the body. We're better together. Everybody say better together. Now, the idea that I really want to present to us today, I've, I've kind of brought, you know, as we've laid different foundation, I, I want to emphasize this idea in verse 12. This is going to help you. It says, Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Did you know that the war that we fight is not with anybody that you see with the natural eye? The battles that we face are not fought in the natural. This is, this is you know, where, where this kind of became real to me is my son. My son... Uh, was chronically ill when he was when he was a young boy and the Lord has touched his life but I mean my son when he was when he was a child when he was very small uh, he started getting ear infections almost immediately horrible ear infections he'd have cough he'd have runny nose all this kind of stuff and we would do absolutely everything that we could to try and see him made well we tried to get him, you know, we kept him on a good diet, good food. You know, we tried to get him sunlight and all this kind of stuff and uh, do everything that we could. When he would have these horrible ear infections, we took him. He had three different sets of tubes growing up. But not only that, we would take him to healing meetings. I mean, we'd be in these services. We'd go drive hours because we heard there's a healing minister who's going to be over there. Or we'd be in services maybe in our own church where the power of God was coming down. And, man, a woman just came out of a wheelchair. Get Gabriel in here. We'd pull him out of the nursery and get him down because we knew that God was healing in the house that morning. And we'd always seek these opportunities for my son to be healed. And I remember there was this moment where Gabriel woke up in the middle of the night and his ears were draining and he was coughing. And any parents ever deal with this kind of thing? It's, it's a difficult, it's a challenging thing. And I remember Gabriel started having this coughing fit. And he couldn't stop coughing. It was horrible to the point where we finally, like, you know, we tried to give him, the, like, the vaporizer and all this kind of thing. But all we could do to give him any relief is we'd go into the bathroom, we'd turn on the shower and the hot water and try and steam up the room as much as we could so he could get some of that moisture. And I remember as we were there, I mean, he was coughing to the point where he was vomiting. And it was just, it was a horrible situation. Middle of the night, so frustrating. And there was a temptation that came into my heart, and I'm sure my wife's, to get frustrated with my son. To become angry with my son. But in that moment, as I'm watching my son struggle with this sickness, I realize this isn't my son, and it's not his fault. There's sickness that is operating on the inside of him. There is an attack on his physical body that is going on right now. It's not his will. It's not him. It's something operating in him. And it began to shift my perspective. I, you'll, you'll hear about these, these parents and, uh, and how, they'll, how they'll shake their babies because they won't stop crying. They get so frustrated with the child. It is not the child. Something that's going on with the child. And can I just remind you, we get frustrated with people. We get frustrated with political parties. We get frustrated with other denominations. But can I remind you, 
they are not your enemy. They're not your enemy. There may be powers that are deceiving them. They may have the blinders of the world on your life. But listen, that does not make them your enemy. It makes them your mission field. My concern is I've watched all of the, the political, you know, all the political race unfold. And even as we watch how people have responded to COVID, boy, I have a lot of opinions about a lot of those things. But I had a conversation with Prophet Harkey, who was with us just a couple months ago. And he was talking about these guys who are advocating for the right to abort babies. And we were talking in that discussion about how, you know, that to me is like the main deciding factor on who I'm going to vote for. I can go back and forth on a lot of policies, but when it comes to that, I cannot advocate for the, for the, for the killing of unborn babies. And as we were talking about this, here was, here was the kind of the conclusion that we came to. My concern is that we so demonize people who feel like, no, that's a right that people should have, that we end up making them an enemy rather than recognizing they have blinders and they're our mission field. They're not our enemy. They are our mission field. Are we attacking people that the Lord has actually said, hey, that's who you need to go minister to. These are the people who are in the, under the sway of the, uh, of the deception of the world, and these are the ones who need my liberty and my freedom the most. We must be so careful to recognize, church, our battle is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is not with anything that you can see with the natural eye, but there are spiritual forces, demonic forces that are operating in much of the world, and much of the world lays under the sway of the wicked one, Peter says. So we're going to recognize who our enemy is, amen? And we're going to recognize what our mission field is, amen? Hallelujah. This is why I love being in Hawaii. There's a lot of ministry that can happen right here. My, my wife and I came from the buckle of the Bible Belt in good old Dallas, Fort Worth. And uh, as much as I liked Dallas uh, and all of that, the thing is you could start a worship service just about anywhere and you got Christians everywhere. And, uh, you know, it's, it's nice being able to go where there's some lost people. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And there's lost people in Dallas, of course, but, uh, but it's a different atmosphere. A lot of people say that Hawaii, in fact, we've got a, a church in Mozambique, and, uh, and our, our pastor there was talking about the level of spiritual warfare that she encounters on a daily basis. And she says, you know, Hawaii is about the greatest training ground for spiritual warfare that you can have anywhere in the United States. You want to go do spiritual warfare in Africa? Learn how to do it in Hawaii. Why? Because the history and even the, the, the mixture of religions and the intensity of warfare, I, I'm telling you, when you look at the great awakenings that have swept this island, you'll see that the areas that the Lord desires to pour his spirit on, there's always this great warfare over them as well. And that's where you'll see, if you look through the history of any place that's been used mightily in revival, you'll usually see great warfare over that territory. You'll see heavy demonic activity, human sacrifice, false religions, capitals of, you know, pagan worship, all of this. And you'll see mighty revivings, mighty moves of God. That's the history of this island. That's the history of Kailua Kona right here. Anyway, that's a, that's a little bunny trail. But all the more... We need to be serious about this. 
How many of you believe that God desires to pour out his spirit in unprecedented measure on our land, on our people? Hallelujah. He's going to do it. And he's going to use you. Hallelujah. Now, here's the armor of God. So I, I'm not going to spend any time because I, I want to get into some new stuff today. But we talked in previous weeks about the belt, how we receive truth. Jesus is truth. The Bible is truth. Guys, if you don't believe that this word of God is true, if this is God-inspired, God-breathed, and listen, none of these weapons are going to work for you. I'm just telling you, we must accept that the Bible is true, that is authoritative, and we believe that. We believe that the Bible is God's word, and it speaks to us. It's truth. That's our belt. Holds everything together. Keep your pants on. Hallelujah. The second thing is the breastplate. We put on Christ and his righteousness, but it's not just a de declaration over our life. It's not just a position, but we are transformed, and God is making us look more and more and more like him every day. Do you look more like Jesus today than you did six months ago? I sure hope so. Every one of you ought to be able to say yes. Do you look more like Jesus today than you did six months ago? Okay, if not, we're going to pray for you. Um, <laughs> I had a conversation with somebody this last week, and, uh, you know, there was actually a, a, a pastor, and they said, you know, I feel like this guy needs to repent. Now, he's not in horrible sin or anything like that, but this, this pastor, he actually said, no, I don't need to repent of anything. No, there's, there's nothing. And I looked at that, and I'm like, and I was talking to my wife about this, like, and again, I'm just reading this whole thing this dialogue, and I'm telling my wife, I'm like, how is it that he can't acknowledge that there's anything that he would need to repent of? I'm like, I got things that I repent of every single day, and so my wife looks at me. She's like, what do you need to repent of, and, uh, and so I, I tell her, I'm like, I'm like, Leah, I know that the way that I talked to you when we were driving out here, that was frustration. That wasn't, that wasn't love, and I need to repent. I know that here when I question, should we give this huge amount in addition to our tithe? I know I had, I had unbelief that entered into my life. I need to repent of that. And I began to give her a whole list of things. And again, it's not heinous, unforgivable sin that I'm living in. But every day, Holy Spirit says, mm, that's not my heart. That's not my attitude. Eh, we need to work on that. We need to strengthen your faith in this. How many of you have that experience? Uh, we ought to have. If you've got an active living relationship with Holy Spirit, he's going to speak to you a lot. And there's a lot of correction, but he's a wonderful and a gracious teacher and mentor. I'm so thankful for the Lord. Amen. So we put on Christ as shoes we receive and we release the gospel of peace. We need to receive that gospel and we minister that gospel to one another. As the shield, we accept by faith what God has said about life. This is good, this is bad, this is right, wrong, evil, uh, good, all of that. We accept and we believe, God, what you have declared is true. Even though my flesh cries out for this, what I believe, I believe what your word has said about this. Now, the helmet of salvation, this is, this is awesome. This encouraged me so much, and I pray that it encouraged you too. For the helmet, we walk in the hope of salvation. If you're taking notes, this is, this is kind of our, our new content here. We walk in the hope of salvation. Everybody say the hope of salvation. We walk in the hope of salvation. Now, uh, you know, 
the reason that I, I want you to be sure that you understand this, because sometimes we, we view salvation as if it's like, you know, I, I don't know how you grew up. I mean, I kind of grew up with this, uh, what they in theological terms would call Wesleyan Arminianism. And uh, Wesleyan Arminianism means that if you die with any unconfessed or unrepented sin, you're going to hell. And, uh, and I'll just let you know, I, I'm not there anymore. I'm still on the Wesleyan side of things more than I'm on the Calvin side of things. But I do believe that our salvation is not so fragile that if you lose your temper and you cross the street and get hit by a truck and you didn't have a chance to confess your frustration, you're going to hell. I don't believe that. Our salvation is not that fragile. It's not like a hat that you can take on and put off. No, no, no. Either you're saved or you're not. You can spend seasons prodigal running away. I'm not preaching once saved, always saved. But I want you to understand, your salvation is not fragile. Your salvation is not fragile. The effective work of Jesus in your life is not fragile. He knows that you are going to give. I mean, I've been reading in, in the Old Testament, man. I read about the life of David. You know, somebody, somebody turned to me recently. In fact, I'll just tell you, it was Prophet Harkey. And he asked me about a song. He's like, he's like, you guys like this song? And it was a song that we were singing. I don't even remember what it is, and I'm thankful that I don't. And I'm like, yeah, I like this song. And he's like, well, you know, the guy that wrote this came out as gay, and, you know, and they had to oust him, and they actually had to write him off of the entire record label because he wouldn't renounce any of this kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, wow. And I'm like, so should we not? You know, I'm like, what do you do with this? Do we not sing the song anymore or what? And he's like, well, he's like, if we do that, what are you going to do with all the psalms that David wrote? We're going to take away because this guy's an adulterer. He's a murderer. Yet half of the songs that we sing come from the psalms. Are we going to throw all those out? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good point, huh? And so my point is, think about this, man. David by today's standard, wouldn't qualify to be a life group leader in many of our churches. I want you to think about this, okay? I don't know where I'm trying to go with this. <laughs> I'm not trying to advocate a walk of unrighteousness. I want you to hear me on. We are pursuing the Lord. We're going to lean in. We're going to be responsive in the whole. But I want you to understand, your faith, your, your, your salvation is not, it's not fragile. Are you with me on that? Do you hear me today? And so we have, in fact, 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, there's a, a very similar passage. It says we put on as a helmet the hope of salvation. Kind of brings a, a little perspective. It's not just salvation that we wear as a helmet, but it's the hope of salvation. Did you know that hope is a very powerful weapon for us? In fact, it reminds me immediately of my all-time favorite movie series, Star Wars. You have any Star Wars fans? I tell you, uh, I, I shared with the first service, but now that she's sitting in the room, Christine, you want to know when you really won my heart is when you shared about how your relationship with Jesus was like Darth Vader. And I'm like, I mean, she didn't even finish the sentence, and I'm like, I like this lady already. Uh, because she's like, she's like, you remember when Darth Vader, they took off his helmet and then he died. And she's like, that's how I am with Jesus. If you ever took Jesus away, I would just die. And I'm like, that makes sense. That's how I am too. But I like that, you know. But the Star Wars, the thing that I like about Star Wars is the greatest, 
the greatest weapon that they had in Star Wars was not the Force. It was not lightsabers, even though, boy, those things are awesome. But what it was was hope. In fact, the very first movie was called A New Hope. They have this expectation that even with the evil empire and, you know, these horrible, uh, you know, you guys think that we got bad leadership in our nation. You imagine if you had a sorcerer like Emperor Palpatine. I need to not go too far down this road. Uh, But you just imagine if we had that kind of thing. And these guys, though, they had this rebellion that was forming that they could fight and push back against these, these evil powers. And they had hope. In fact, I enjoyed, there was a line in one of the movies, Rogue One, where it said, our rebellion is built on hope. And that was the fuel that that pushed them. Now, that's a fiction, and some of you check out the moment that I said Star Wars, and so I'm going to move on past that. Let me give you a real example. There was a study that was done in the 1950s at John Hopkins University. There was a doctor named Kurt Richter. This is true. And what he did is he did an experiment with about 40 rats. Anybody like rats? What he did, if you don't like rats, you'll like this illustration. What he did is he took about a dozen, 12 rats, and he put them in a bucket of water, not able to get out, and they swam around that. And on average, those mice would die in about two minutes. They would give up trying to swim. They might swim to the bottom, see if there was another outlet or something. But when they discovered there was no hope for them, they would drown. Not a single mouse out of the first dozen that he did this experiment with lived beyond three minutes. Okay? He continued the experiment, but with the next batch of mice, which was about another 30, He took these mice, he would drop them in the water, and at the two-minute mark, he would pull them out of the bucket and put them onto dry ground. Then he would take them again and drop them right back into the water. This time when they were dropped into the water, and this is consistent, this time when they were dropped back into the water, they would not only live past two and three minutes, but they would live past ten minutes, they would live past twenty minutes, on and on and on. Listen to me. Those mice, when they got rid of their hopelessness, on average would live three days treading water. Three days. That is the power of hope. This doctor, this is his quote. He said the uh, the rats quickly learn that the situation is not hopeless. And after the elimination of hopelessness, the rats do not die. You see what a difference hope can make in our life? What a difference the hope of salvation can make in our life. We, as a helmet, to guard and protect our walk with the Lord, the Lord has said one of our weapons of warfare is this idea You're going to be saved at the end of this. You're going to make it through this life. You're not going to be a backslider. No, your marriage is not going to fail. You're not going to die of this sickness. No, we need to grab hold of 
hope as the powerful, powerful tool that it is that the Lord has intended for us to have in warfare. It's the hope of our salvation. In fact, you'll notice how often the Bible highlights hope. Some of the most famous passages that we quote, and as I go through these, you're going to realize you know most of them by memory. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. As part of God's will is he wants to give you hope for the future. In Psalm 42, 11, he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. I will praise him. I love that. David, in a pit of depression, despair, realizes my soul is not in alignment with what God desires of me. And he begins to prophesy to his own soul, hope in God. It was his weapon. It was his tool for victory. Romans 15, 13 says, now may the God of hope, there's a wonderful title for the Lord, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The God of hope wants to impart hope by the power of his spirit. Isn't that wonderful? Are, are you getting filled with hope just yet? Hebrews 11.1. 1. Again, these are all well-known passages. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. 1 Corinthians 13.13. 13, faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. Now, the greatest might be love. We talk about faith all the time. But notice, hope is one of those three powerful tools that the Lord has given us. All of these are incredible. Faith, hope, and love. In Romans 5, verse 3, you may not like this one. We glory in tribulation. Have you learned to glory in tribulation? Have you learned to glory in difficult situations? Praise God. Knowing tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces, anybody know? Hope. Everybody say hope. This is so good. And so I'm just, I'm just warning you. If the devil's going to try and assault you in a particular area, he's going to go for your hope. He's going to gun for your hope of salvation. Are you really in the care of God? Are you really saved? I love what Smith Wigglesworth said. The services are kind of running together for me now. Did I tell you this already? Smith Wigglesworth made a statement one time that, if you've ever questioned your salvation, if the devil ever makes you question your salvation, it's almost a sure sign that you're saved. Because why would Satan try and assault you in an area that he already has victory in your life in? Why would he try and convince you of something that's already true in your life? If he's assaulting you and saying, you're not saved, chances are you're saved. We need to shake off this hopelessness. Listen. You're a son. You're a daughter of the Most High God. You are safe within, the hand, within his hands. You are victorious in the name of Jesus. Stop giving in to this hopelessness and woe is me and God, are you even there? No, he is for you. He is with you. You are with him. You're victorious in the name of Jesus. Can you tell I'm getting excited about this? Is anybody thankful that you're born again, that you're saved? Hallelujah. 
Now let me give you some, let's just remind the devil where he stands. The Bible says that the devil has been made the footstool of of Jesus. Did you know that? Hebrews 10.13 says that, that he's been made Jesus' footstool. And in Matthew 22.44 it says all of God's enemies will be made Jesus' footstool. Uh, the Bible also says, Ephesians 2, 6, that that's not just the position of Jesus alone, but it's our position because we are seated in Christ in heavenly places, Ephesians 2, 6. Uh, one of the jobs, oh, this is awesome, is that we get to share with Jesus in the ministry of putting shame to the devil. Did you know that? Colossians 2.11 says exactly that. Part of our job is to put Satan to open shame. You know, when a prodigal comes home after 36 years away from the Lord, that puts shame to the devil. When bodies are healed in this place, when people are walk into this house crippled and their knees are painful in one moment, in one word of knowledge, in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, bodies are healed. That puts shame to the devil. When a church grows and blossoms in the midst of a COVID pandemic, that puts shame to the devil. That's our life. That's our ministry is we get to, we get to put shame to the devil. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Now, let me just read to you one passage. And worship team, why don't you come? I'm going to draw this to a close. Let me just read to you Isaiah 14. And this is going to put some hope in you. I, I really want you to understand that we are fighting a defeated foe. Do you know Satan's a loser? I, I really feel like I, I am convinced, man. In, in my life in ministry, I've, I've had the privilege of seeing quite a few demonic manifestations. And the thing that surprised me the most when I began to see demons manifest and demons cast out is how wimpy and fearful demons are. Why? Because you see in movies, you see in cartoons, I mean, we always see these huge, scary figures. I mean, we've, we've created entire movie genres about how scary devils are, right? But as I'm watching demons manifest, you know what I always see in the eyes of these demons that manifest? Fear. They're the ones that are afraid. But you'll notice in the Bible, read in the Bible all the accounts of Scripture. If an angel shows up, they're like, oh, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Why? Because you get a 20-foot angel with a flaming sword, eyeballs all over. That's freaky, man. That's scary. The word seraphim literally means burning ones. You have a seraphim show up, a 20-foot on fire angel. That's scary. But you see a demon manifest in Scripture, they're always like, Jesus, leave us alone. What do you have to do with us? Paul, why have you come here? They're always fearful. They're always afraid. If we could truly see these spiritual forces for what they are, you'd realize you got some big, fiery, powerful angels that are on your side. You got some wimpy demons that are laying in front of you trying to intimidate you and steal your hope. And more than that, you have a God of all victory who is fighting on your side and on your behalf, and he has never lost a battle, and he never will. Now let me read to you the final judgment of Satan. This is this will really bring things into perspective. This is Isaiah 14 and verse 5. 
It's a prophetic passage about the fall of Satan and the judgment of the Antichrist. And it says, he, speaking of Satan, who ruled the people with wrath and unrelenting persecution and anger. But the Lord has broken his staff. And the whole earth is at peace and quiet. They break into singing. Hell is stirred up to meet you. It's talking about Satan. Satan's not ruling in hell, you know that. Satan will be judged in hell. He says, hell is stirred up to meet you. I, I can just imagine the damned in hell. They start like, hey, hey, they're getting ready to cast down the big one right now. He's getting ready to come. They stir up. They're waking up hell to meet Satan. He says, it rouses the dead in hell. Kings, rulers, leaders. And they will say, Satan, you have become weak like us. Your pomp has been brought down to hell. Maggots are laid as the bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. Oh, how you have fallen. And those who see him will ponder. Is this the one who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, and who made the world a desert and overthrew cities? Think about this. The rulers of the world who end up in hell will look at Satan when he's cast down and say, this is it? This is the one who influenced the whole world? Seriously, this is the guy who overturned kingdoms and made the world tremble and shook the earth and turned the world? This is the one? I'm just telling you, church, if you could see the devil for who and what he is, you're going to have all the hope in the world. Our God is mighty. And our enemy, oh, nothing. 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 By the power of the name of Jesus. Wow. I don't know about you, but I preach myself happy this morning. I want you to stand to your feet. Come on. Can we just sing that? You have no rival. You have no equal. Come on. Let's just declare the victory of the Lord right now. Let's lift this up. Let's honor him. Come on. You have no rival. You have no
nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of my Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, I want to take a moment, and maybe you're here today, and you say, you know, Pastor, I don't know if I've ever received the hope of salvation. I'm not sure if my life has been yielded to Jesus. Maybe you once walked with the Lord, but you've fallen away from him. You've you've backslidden. You're a prodigal. You've been away from the Lord. Today's the day to come back and to step into that hope of salvation. Maybe you're here and you've never really committed your life to the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to say, Lord, I yield and I surrender my life to you. I just want to encourage you, man. It's the greatest step of victory and freedom that you'll ever experience in your life. With every head bowed and everyone praying all across this room, nobody looking around but you say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus as my Lord. My life has not been yielded, but today, maybe for the first time, or maybe you're coming home for the first time in a long time, but you say, I need to surrender my life today to Jesus Christ as my Savior. If that be you, nobody looking around, would you just lift up your hand so I know who I'm praying for? Lift it high so I can see. Yeah, I see you there. I see you there. Are there others? Yeah, I see you over there. Hallelujah. I see you right there in the middle. Hallelujah. Is there anybody else? Come on, can we all just lift our hands as a sign of surrender? And I'm going to lead us in a declaration right now. Just pray right out loud, dear Jesus. Everybody pray out loud, dear Jesus. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. I have sinned. Wash me, Jesus. Cleanse me and make me brand new. Be my Savior. Be the Lord of my life. Be my very best friend. From this moment on, I am yours and you are mine. Come live your life through me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.